This is Jivananda Das Vanachari from, originally he is a pillar of Dallas, but he has gone to travel all around the world. His home base is uh, Tucson, I was about to say Phoenix, but Tucson, but they have a lovely temple there. They have also a restaurant like we have here, beautiful temple. I don't know, do they still have the white peacock? Uh, yeah. They still have the yeah. white peacock. Yeah. And um, so he, he is a teacher and um, met most of the community here that are managing this temple. He brought them to Dallas 30 years ago. So, and... 30-something. 30-something years ago. <laughs> 30, 40-something years ago. Hare Krishna. Come on, you got more than that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have some folks that are... Now, Meredith, she went to the, the first kind of festival of the temple was the Radastami Flower Festival. Oh, yeah. Just Friday, recently? Just on Friday, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. We, we went with a friend to go eat, and we were pleasantly surprised. We totally <laughs> Go this way. <laughs> <laughs> we hijacked the restaurant customers. <laughs> told them to go that way. It's right here. The restaurant's right here. <laughs> <laughs> and, wow. Yeah, we talked about that for about three days afterwards. <laughs> oh, that's and you've been here several times. Yes. Hmm? And What's you also got to I also went to the flower, flower festival. festival. Yeah. What's your name? Flynn. Flynn. Oh, nice wow. to meet you. It's my pleasure. Meredith and Flynn. And you know, Nitai travels with um, Gudar. I was about to say group. We met in, in SGGS. Yeah, um, yeah. He's there taking photos. Yeah, he's yeah. Like, he's from you know, Philippines, but he's, he's an old dear friend. We went, we go way back to late 70s here in Dallas. Mm. Yeah. Many wonderful pastimes with your food. Please tell him I said hi. He would probably, if he had known that you were going to encounter me, he would have probably said, stay away from that guy. These devotee associations. <coughs> devotee um, relationships are uh, relationships that transcend the body. So therefore, I can meet your Guru Maharaj after not seeing him for 10 years or more. You know, sometimes, one time it was 20 years before we saw each other. But the friendship was as warm as if it, we'd been together just the day before. So, huh, Arjun Krishna, there is Krishna. Another old face. <laughs> Come on, give me a break. <laughs> 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 I've got a break. Wow. Good nice to see you, Good to see you. It's been a while. I saw some video clips of you in San Antonio with Chaitanya Chandra. And I was just like, oh, God, I couldn't wait to see you. Well, that was El Paso. El Paso. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I went, uh, took some disciples with me from Tucson to El Paso. And we had Rados to meet there. Nice. And, uh, they all got enlightened. Then they went back, and I went on to San Antonio. 
and had another radiologist. I had two more radiologists there. So I've had three this year. So I was happy with one here. One is enough. We had a wonderful radiologist here. Ah, incredible. Really good. It's always sweet to come back to Dallas. Spent a lot of time here, and a lot of people. So, uh, we're going to talk about the truth. Can you handle the truth? <laughs> <laughs> you can't handle the truth. Uh, and that's true. Most people can't really deal with the truth. <clears throat> now, why do I say that? Well, I'm not just trying to be nasty. A lot of people really can't. They try to avoid it. And so um, I find many people as I travel around, they, they have some truth and they believe it to be their truth. Have you heard people say that? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you may talk about your truth and it, they say, well, that's your truth. So this is kind of common, isn't it? You know, so let's address that. What does it mean? Do you have a truth and I have a truth and all God's children have a truth? Is that the way it works? Let's say if I took a, a napkin and I wrote on the napkin $100 and I say, I have $100. And you say, no, that's not $100. Not that much. You could write anything on it. It's still not worth anything worth less now that you've written on it. You know, nobody's even going to use it to... So, but I can say, no, no, that's my truth. That's my truth. And you don't recognize it, but I have a right to my truth, don't I? You have a right to your truth, I have a right to my truth. So as long as I feel, and I'm convinced, and I feel in my heart that this is my truth, this napkin is $100. You can't dispute it. I mean, if you do, that's just your truth. You're not recognizing my truth. So, however, there are absolute truths. There is an absolute truth. The absolute truth, as far as money goes, might be the bank. I can take my truth into the bank and lay it down to the teller and say, Give me five twenties. And the teller may say, look, you fool, that's just a that's just a napkin. And I say, that's my truth. And they're, yeah, we, we decide what the truth is when it comes to money. We say that's useless. You see, so there is a truth that my truth has to answer to. You see, there's an absolute truth. Uh, if we believe in an absolute an absolute entity, well, that from which everything cometh, the source of everything. So that is the absolute truth. We call that God. You know, one of God's <coughs> names is Krishna. It's a really sweet name. Uh, it means all beautiful, all, all attractive. Yeah, it means so many wonderful things. It's a very sweet, affectionate name. <clears throat> so, before we can understand uh, what is the truth,
somehow or other we've got to realize sometimes that we're not we're not in it. We're not in the truth sometimes. So I have to look at my notes once in a while. <coughs> uh, to see the truth. Your bag fell off. Oh, that was me. <laughs> I was going to say, why did you do that? <laughs> That's not the truth. <laughs> I can't steal that. This is my truth. She knocked it over. <laughs> Who let her in here? <laughs> Truth requires a shift in our current paradigm. Now, who knows what that means? Does anybody know what a paradigm is? And I'm not talking 20 cents. Paradigms. <laughs> Good crowd. I like it. Laughy crowd. It makes it more fun. The paradigm that got very popular back in the 90s. Um, Stephen Covey wrote a lot of books. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but use that as an example. <clears throat> a paradigm is a lens through which you see the world. You know? It's like if you put on rose-colored glasses, well, the world looks rosy. It looks like it's got a reddish tint. You can look at a white wall, it looks red. And that's your truth, you see? But it's the way you're seeing the world. Now, we, we can have a, a paradigm shift. Sometimes we realize, wow, what I've been believing for a long time, or maybe even all my life, that was completely wrong. Now I see something different. So, do you see what I mean? You know, this is a, a paradigm shift. I'm gonna look at things that I thought was reality before, and I'm gonna see it through a whole different lens. I'm going to see a different reality. So, <coughs> excuse me, Srimad Bhagavatam gives us, it outlines the current paradigm or the way most entities see the world currently. Most. Srimad Bhagavatam, 10th canto, 87th chapter, 2nd verse. Sukadeva Goswami said, the Supreme Lord manifested the material intelligence, senses, mind, and vital air of the living entities so that they could indulge their desires for sense gratification, take repeated births to engage in fruitive activities, become elevated in future lives, and ultimately attain liberation. So this is what we're kind of caught up in. This is a description of the world. The Supreme Lord manifested the material intelligence. So, material intelligence. Uh, pi times the diameter of a circle uh, gives you the circumference, or, you know, what is it? it? Gives you the circuit surface area. 
Five times the radius squared gives you the circumference or no, the, the, the area. I, I used to know all that stuff, but that's material <laughs> intelligence. You know, uh, nuclear fission, this is material intelligence. And sometimes we feel that we need a lot of this to, ma to manipulate the, uh, the material energy, you know, to make better cars, to make better cell phones. We don't need better cell phones, but they're still going to make them. They're going to convince us that we need them. So this material intelligence and material senses. Krishna gave us those. He gave you these material senses. Now why? Why did he do that? He gave us our mind and the vital air uh, so that we could indulge uh, our desires for sense gratification. So let's talk about sense gratification. We hear about a lot about that. Oh, it's just sense gratification. So that's gratification that I perceive through my six senses. Wait a minute, where does he get six? What are they? Hearing? Seeing, smelling, tasting, touching. That's only five, right? And then there's the mind, which is the sixth sense. The mind is there to kind of filter out, you know. Uh, it should catch the data that's given by the eye or the ear, processes, and, and decide what to do with it. Like the eyes may see uh, a very pretty person, you see, and the mind may say, wow, very pretty, I like that person. And it may alert the genitals. Wow, let's get excited. You see how the mind works? Or uh, genitals, sense of touch. Uh, okay, the, the nose may alert. Wow, I smell pizza. You know, the mind is like through the nose, ooh, pizza. So now he starts working on the tongue. Hey, what do you think about pizza? Tongue is like, yeah, well, let's do it. So this is going on constantly. The problem is uh, we don't know that we are not our senses. We are not our mind. You know, we're not even. Let, let, me, let me ask you. I like to do this. I do this all the time. It's so much fun. If you've heard this before, then too bad. Show of hands, how many people believe you have a soul? Anybody believe you have a soul? Smart Alec. <laughs> believe you have a soul? All right. If you said you have a soul, then my question to you is, who is this you that has a soul? You see how that works? I think I'm something other than my soul. So that makes me I'm this body. Right? What else are you? Well, wait a minute. We're not our body, are we? But you have a soul. Oh, no. I'm, this is confusing. Which pocket do you keep your soul in? You sure you brought it? Maybe you left it on the nightstand. No, this is we have to we have to work on this. 
consciousness. We need to realize I am a soul. That makes me not my body, I'm not my senses, I'm not my mind. I am the owner of the body, senses, and mind. You see? And Krishna just said, you know, these material senses and the material mind, you're not material. So then you can't be the senses or the mind. You're spiritual. You are the eternal soul. So, but this is the paradigm that we deal with. And even though we've had so much training, you're not your body, you're not your body, you're not your body. And we say that so many times for decades we say it. And then we still think, when in a, our reaction is, uh, I think I have a soul. See, this is so hard for us to overcome this thought that we're not our body. <clears throat> so that's part of the truth. Part of the truth is we have to transcend this conviction that we are the body. Did you have a question? Someone says, you're ugly. You're like, ah, I have this body. How dare you offend it? <laughs> yeah. That's me. Or you're old. <laughs> you're old. <laughs> you know. I'm not old, I'm eternal. But I'm sure wearing this body out real quick. You know. I think it's got a few more miles left in it, but I don't know. Well, you look healthy. I'm feeling okay. I'm having a good day. I'm hanging in there. You're looking well, Mother. So... How do we break up this paradigm that this world is my home, I am this body, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm a human being, I'm an earthling. How do we get out of this? It's like a poor dog chasing his tail. You see, we got to escape that. How do we get out of that? So we need to get out of this perceived truth, this paradigm, that I'm part of this material world, I'm part of this body, and we have to get into the absolute truth. Well, Krishna gives that to us. So, have you read Bhagavad Gita? I've not read, no. Do you have one? Uh, I, I do, actually. Yeah, I have a little itty-bitty one. Yeah? How about if I give you a, a nice big one? I'm going to take a card. I'll give it to you. Okay. Hard cover. Okay. Nothing but the best. <laughs> Don't let me forget, because I've got a case of them in my trunk. Is there, is there anybody else here who would like a hardcover Bhagavad Gita? Anybody? Huh? All right. <laughs> then you get the only one. <laughs> so what's the truth? Krishna tells us this truth, the absolute truth, in Bhagavad Gita. So, Bhagavad Gita, 15th chapter, verses 7 through 11. Listen to what Krishna says here. Krishna says, The living entities in this conditioned world are my eternal, fragmental parts. Due to condition, conditioned life, they are struggling very hard with the six senses, which include the mind. See, I didn't just make that up. Krishna said it. <laughs> <laughs> so there. He thought I just pulled that out of my sleeve. And I'm not. I don't have any sleeves. So, the living entities in this conditioned world, conditioned, because 
we're conditioned into thinking that we're part of it. That we're part of this body, part of this world. I'm a, I'm a good American, you know? I'm a good American and a tax-paying Republican or Democrat or whatever nonsense you want to say you are, you know? Krishna says you are my eternal fragmented part. Now what does he mean? What does he say? Means that I'm eternal, I'm eternally a fragment of him. I am the same as him. And I'm eternally a fragmented part, which means right away that defeats some of these philosophies that we can go merge back with him. You know? I didn't see any caveats there. Krishna didn't say, unless you merge. No, he doesn't say that. Eternally, a fragmented part. So, uh, I am part of him. I'm not him, but yet I am part of him. Now, I'm the same DNA as he is, but he's just the, the whole. He's the complete whole. And I'm his fragmental part. Now, we'll get back to that later, but that should open up a lot, big, a lot of thinking. You're part of God. You know? I mean, you're the same, except he's just bigger. You're the same. Well, this is a huge real, realization, if you think about that. And we'll get back to it in a minute. Due to conditioned life, you're struggling very hard with the six senses, which include the mind. Due to conditioned life. Conditioned life means I'm thinking that I'm part of this world. I'm thinking I am my body. And as we said in Shumad Bhagavatam here, I'm thinking that I can just uh, enjoy through my five senses. <coughs> so let's talk about the senses. I'll go, we'll go back to the senses for a minute. I've got five ways of perceiving anything. If I don't see it, smell it, hear it, taste it, touch it, then my mind doesn't know it's there, right? So there could be stuff there that I can't perceive through my eyes, nose, ears, mouth, touch, right? Like x-ray, we can't see that, we can't see infrared. There's so many sounds that we can't hear that dogs can hear. And there's so many sounds that they can't hear. So there's so much. Our senses are imperfect. If, if our senses were perfect, we'd be able to see. Like when you did the infrared, like when you used uh, remote control, for the, you'd be able to see it. You, you can't see, but there's some little light when you push your remote control. I mean, I don't know, but that's, it's infrared. I can't see infrared. Maybe there's some critters that can. So there's so many things I can't hear. So there's so much here, but we can't perceive. We don't know what's here because we can't perceive it through our senses. Now Krishna says your senses are material. So you, the part and parcel of God, if you can get on that consciousness that I'm an eternal fragmented part of God, and if you can meditate on that, you're not going to think you have a soul. You're going to realize you are a soul. Now, if you're a soul, 
That means you're not a body, so you don't have the limitations that a body has. Such as the senses. You're not limited to five senses. So you, the living entity, the, the spirit soul, in the self-realized stage, you have so much more perception. You're not limited by only five senses. You have unlimited perception. Unlimited. You see? This is why we want to get uh, this self-realization. I want this unlimited perception. I mean, if taste and smell are so good, just think how much we enjoy from taste and smell. What if my smell and taste was unlimited? Was it limited by this body? Dogs smell better than humans. I don't mean. I mean, you smell, you know what you smell. I mean, they can smell better. Got out of that one, didn't I? I didn't like that book, buddy. I gotta be careful. I'll get myself in trouble here. No, a dog can smell ninety times better than a human being. You know, they can smell something. Just give them a whiff, and they'll go find it. Somebody's been there a few days ago. They can see. They can smell. You know, uh, smell and taste go hand in hand. So dogs can taste better. So dog on it. I can't enjoy that way as much as a dog can, can I? He can smell and taste better than I can. His, his food tastes better. That is not fair. But I have a better mind. My mind you know, is, is, is bigger. I can use my mind in different ways than a dog. Does that make any sense? So, Krishna goes on. The living entity in the material world carries his different conceptions of life from one body to another, as the air carries aroma. Thus he takes one kind of body, and again, puts it to take another. So the living entity carries his different conception of life. Meaning that I have a conception. I, I think that I am a man. The dog is convinced he's a dog, you see. And, and so I have my conception and I carry it from body to body just like the air carries an aroma. You know, if you have a poor or a, a bad aroma in the air, uh, give it time and it'll, whatever solids there are in the air that are, you're inhaling that smell badly, they'll fall out and the air will be pure again. You see, the air doesn't become contaminated. It just carries aromas. See? So, uh, likewise, you, the soul, do not become contaminated. You just have a conception that you're this or you're that. You are always this part and parcel of God. You don't become contaminated. Your consciousness gets a little messed up. You start to believe this and believe that. Your paradigm is this, then your paradigm is that, and you're confused, you see? But that doesn't mean that you have changed. You are still that pure part and parcel 
of God. You see? That's good news. We ought to go, glad to hear that. Um, thus he takes one kind of body and again quits, quits it to take another. Krishna goes on. The living entity thus taking another gross body obtains a certain type of ear, eye, tongue, nose, and sense of touch, which are grouped about the mind. He thus enjoys a particular set of sense objects. I take a body, I take a paradigm. You see, I've got a particular type of ear and a particular type of eye. Why, in my last birth, I thought that uh, maybe some pretty girl was be attracted. So now I take the body of a dog and I'm thinking this, this pretty dog is attractive. You see, I have a different smell. When you're a human, some of the things that attract a dog's nose, you're not gonna like. You're gonna be, whoa. Yet the dog is like, ooh, let me check that out. You see? So because he has a different set of senses and his mind is working, he's just as screwed up as we are. We think I'm this, he's thinking he's that. That's unfortunate. So he's just like us. He's in this material world trying to enjoy it, trying to exploit it, to squeeze some enjoyment out of it, and not doing any better at it than we are. So the living entity thus taking another gross body obtains a certain type of ear, eye, tongue, nose, sense of touch, which are grouped about this particular mind, because I've gone into a whole different paradigm. You see, the foolish cannot understand how a living entity can quit his body, nor can they understand what sort of body he enjoys under the spell of the modes of nature. But one whose eyes are trained in knowledge can see all of this. So there's hope for us. We need to be trained in knowledge. Oh. What about these modes of nature? What about these? We hear a lot about these. Let's talk about those. What are they? What are the modes of nature? What's, anybody? Like passion. Passion. Goodness. Goodness. Ignorance. Yeah. Goodness, passion, and ignorance. So it's good for us to kind of measure when you're dealing with people what mode are they in right now it helps you stay cool and calm also measure what mode you're in as you react to them so if someone is uh, really angry at you what mode are they in passion and ignorance maybe a little later if they're extremely angry for no reason, maybe they're drunk and angry. So they're ignorant and angry. That's pretty dangerous, you know. <laughs> maybe they're just a little upset with you, so they're just in more passion. Because you're not living up to what I expected, what I demand from you. Oh, feel the love from that. Goodness is different. Goodness, in, in goodness I can think more clearly and I can well, 
I can uh, analyze what kind of modes, what kind of modes am I seeing coming from you? How do I deal with you? You know, somebody's in a mode of passion. Well, we can't get in a mode of passion too. You have two people, but that's how fights start, you know? So then I have to be a little differently, you know, try to deal with you a little differently. I have to stay in the mode of goodness. But even better than that is to be in the mode of pure goodness. Pure goodness is not a material mode. It's a transcendental mode. It's the mode of the, of the realized soul. And that is, I'm acting as a devotee of Krishna. I'm at, that means I'm acting as a loving part and parcel of the Supreme Lord. And I see you as a loving part and parcel of the Supreme Lord. I don't care what you think you are. You may think that you're a, a Democrat or a Republican or you think you're a dog. Sometimes I go for walks in uh, Arizona and uh, I like to go out in the desert and walk and chant my rounds. And so, uh, and it's very wonderful. It's very beautiful. Um, but sometimes I run across one of the, uh, a very common inhabitant called a rattlesnake. There's a few of them. There's a lot of them. There's really a lot of rattlesnakes in the desert in Arizona. And so I have to realize, you are part and parcel of God, just like I am. You see? And it looks like you're a little angry right now. I got a little close to you. I didn't do that on purpose. You see, so I can recognize you're part partial to Krishna too. You're confused. You think you're a snake, and you think I'm the, I'm here to, to hurt you, which I'm not. And I can recognize you are really pretty. They are. They're gorgeous. I don't know if you've ever has anybody ever seen one live. They're pretty, aren't they? You know. But I have to realize your consciousness, and because of your conviction on what you think you are. You and I can't be close friends. So I need to avoid you. <laughs> you know? I mean, if I took it home and fed it, fed it rattlesnake food, you know, played rattlesnake music for it, you know, rattlesnake cure time. You know, he's still going to bite me if he gets a little disturbed. And he's in this consciousness. So he's got this particular eye, nose, ear. He's got all this going. He's convinced he's a rattlesnake. I need to avoid him. You know? So, um, you see how this works? If I stay in the mode of goodness, I can realize, well, you know, you're in the mode of passion and, uh, and ignorance. And I don't want to deal with you. Now, sometimes we meet people like that. In the 70s, we had a lot of people who used to be that way with us. Weren't they, Arjun? Yeah. Stupid Hare Krishnas! Did you get a job? You know, whoa. <coughs> so, yeah, to deal with people like that. You're confused, you're in the modes, you think this. You're... So I have to show kindness after. I have to hang on to the knowledge that you are a loving, a close, 
affectionate, loving associate of the Supreme Godhead. You just don't know it. And I'd like to help you come to that consciousness. I'd like to help you. You see? I feel it's my service to my guru, Srila Prabhupada. I, I want to do, Prabhupada wants us to do that. I know Prabhupada wants me to do that. And by golly, it's fun. It's the most fun you can ever have to help somebody come to this real consciousness. There's nothing better. I mean, really. So, and the foolish can't understand, cannot, they can't understand this. You see? So, uh, as Krishna said, we need to be trained in knowledge. So knowledge will give you the truth. So, Krishna goes on, the endeavoring transcendentalists who are situated in self-realization can see all this clearly, but those who, whose minds are uh, not developed and who are not situated in self-realization cannot see what is taking place, though they may try to. Lots of people try to understand what's going on. They have scientific or material definitions for the cause of the world or how things are going. You know, they are trying to understand, but they can't. You see? Well, it's okay. We still love them, don't we? You know? So we have to help them somehow or other. So then we're going to go back to the fourth chapter. And Krishna kind of gives us how do you get out of this illusion? How do you get the truth? He's been, you see, he was talking a long time on, on what this illusion is that we're in. I was waiting for him to get to the point, right? I know you were, Krishna. Where are you going with this? You know? So Krishna's going to give us. Krishna says in the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, verse 34, just try to learn the truth by approaching the spiritual master. Inquire from him submissively and render service unto him. The self-realized soul can impart knowledge unto you because he's seen the truth. You get the truth from someone who has the truth. It's really that simple. So where did this guy that has the truth, where did he get the truth? Well, he got it from his guru who had the truth. Where did he get it? Well, he got it from his guru all the way back to God himself. I mean, this is what it means to be a bona fide uh, seer of the truth. Someone who has the truth gives it to you, then you give it to someone else, they in turn give it to other people, those people give it to others, and in this way, the truth spreads. It's kind of difficult to get the truth to spread. It's really easy to get a lie to spread. Right? You tell a lie that's juicy enough, everybody will repeat it. <laughs> Winston Churchill said, a, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to put its pants on. <laughs> I mean, you know, people are like that. You know, the news is like that now. The news likes to talk about just whatever. It doesn't have to be true. When I was a child, uh, remember Mother Suchari back in the old days? The news people, uh, Cronkite and those people, they would never say anything that's wrong. It would mean the end of their career. They may put a little spin, but they told the truth. They read the news. 
six o'clock going to get it later on, you know. Today, they don't, it doesn't matter. Nobody, you know, even if somebody fact checks, it doesn't matter. Then somebody may retract what they said. We're sorry we said that, blah, blah, blah. But yet it gets out there. So the truth isn't uh, very valued right now by very many people. But it should be to you if you want to know something about yourself. I mean, we don't want this little piece of the truth, do we? Well, I want to know all about me and my eternal relationship with God. But I don't care about what else is true. But once you get that information about who you are and your eternal relationship with God, well, you've got all the truth there is to know. There's really not anything else to know. Because it changes it your whole life. It changes your future. It changes how you live your life and how you deal with your fellow living entities, not just the human beings, everyone. It'll make you a more loving person. Because that's what you do as an eternal living entity, as an eternal part and parcel of God. That's what you do eternally. You give pleasure through your loving attitude with God and every, every, every other living entity. Not on a selective basis. You know, I like these, but I don't like them. You know, I like Democrats, but I don't like Republicans. I like Russians, but I don't like Polacks. I don't like, you see what I, that's just, just, there I am back on the bodily consciousness. Your body's a different color than mine, so I don't know if I trust you. You see, as long as I'm in the bodily consciousness, I've got a lot of problems. If I can transcend into knowing that I am an eternal part and parcel of God, then it changes the way I relate with everyone. If you're not your body, if I'm not my body, you're not yours. If you're not yours, I'm not mine. We're both eternal spirit souls. So, we can't come to this realization by speculating, though. As Krishna says, just try to learn the truth by approaching a bona fide spiritual master. That's a spiritual master that got it from a bona fide spiritual master. You see? Otherwise, we'll have a tendency to speculate and form our own truth, my own interpretation of it. So Krishna says, you should approach a spiritual master. Inquire from him submissively. He was, could you please tell me the truth? You know? And render service unto him. You know, wash his car, cut his grass. <laughs> no, it's, it's not, just kidding. <laughs> I saw Mary and she's like, is that what he wants? No. It would be nice if you do you do you wash your Maharaj's car? No. <laughs> it would be nice. You never thought of that. I don't want to have to engage in scrubbing my car. Actually, once they did, I didn't want them to, but they did. So, no, it's not like that. Service. What does a guru want you to do? What do you think? Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. 
Lord's happy, everybody's happy. Right? right. You'll be happy. Because that's what you are. You are that. That is your eternal function. You, the soul, your eternal function is to enhance Krishna's ecstasy. Now, God is the complete whole, that from which everything cometh. So he doesn't need you. I hope I don't make you feel bad. He doesn't need you. But he really doesn't. He's complete. God is the complete whole. But if he's so complete and so incredibly wonderful, so beautiful, don't you think he'd like to be observed? Think about it. That's where you come in. And you can have a reciprocal relationship with him. Rather than him just being there and knowing that he's all attractive, he can show himself to you. Now what about you? What does he get out of your association? Does he want you to wash his car? <laughs> you know? No. You give him ecstasy. You enhance his ecstasy. So that means that you can. That's just like you hear all these people, Tony Robbins and all these guys, they can help you materially. <coughs> all the self-help guys, well, we're talking about a philosophy light years ahead, eons beyond the self-help gurus, you see. Because... Uh, no one can possibly empower you. No one can empower you. You know why? Because you're an eternal part and parcel of God. Who can empower God? Now, you're not God, but you're made of the same stuff. You are empowered. You're empowered to give him pleasure which means you're incredibly beautiful. You, the soul. Otherwise, why would he have you there? Why would he have you as anything other than incredibly beautiful? All the innumerable souls are incredibly beautiful to Krishna. Why, you have the potency to wow God. That is your function. You can do it. You are empowered by him to do that. You have that, pot you have that potency to have this effect on the supreme source of love. You have the power to love him and captivate him through your love. You don't need any self-help gurus. Or this is enough knowledge. If you can just meditate on it uh, and learn to accept it, this will do everything for you. You won't have any troubles unless you start thinking, I am my body, I am a this, I am that. Then you start to descend. But if you can remember that you are Krishna's affectionate, eternal associate, that'll do it for you. That'll uh, elevate your consciousness. And you'll know, uh, I don't have any problems. I'm part and parcel of God. Eternally. 
There's no beginning to it and there's no end. You're not going to lose it. You can only lose your consciousness of it. You see? So we have to work. We have to work. So we serve God and everyone else on the living end. That's what we do. When you're a loving associate of God, you are a functioning soul. If you're not doing that, you're malfunctioning. You're in a malfunction stage. What happens to your car if it malfunctions? It doesn't work. Right. It becomes junk. You know, maybe they're going to melt it down and, you know, it's just worth the scrap iron. So you, the living entity, when you're not performing your function of giving pleasure to the Supreme Godhead and all the other living entities, you're malfunctioning. And therefore you're not happy because you're not doing. And therefore people feel lonely, they feel unloved. They feel concerned about this, concerned about that, worries, struggle. But if you can get to this self-realized stage, you'll never feel struggle. There's still going to be some challenges in the material world, but you can deal with it. You see, and you'll stay out of the modes. You'll stay in, at least in goodness. So, you see how this works? Find a guru. Say, hey, guru. <laughs> what do you want me to do over here? <laughs> it's like Arjun Krishna when he first met Jamal Krishna Maharaj. Isn't that what you said? No. <laughs> <laughs> Forget about it. <laughs> no? That's not what you said? No, kind of no. Kind of, but kind of, yeah. <laughs> I'm just picking on you. Because I love you. So, uh, yeah. You, your love is not, it shouldn't be selective. It should be for everyone. They were a living entity. It should be. And it, it, and it is. You just don't know it. That's what you are. You're, that's what you're best at. You're best at loving. If uh, sometimes I tell people, that sometimes people go out in the world and they're looking for a friend. And if you go out in the world looking for a friend, they're going to find it's a struggle, they're few, and they're far between. But if you go out in the world to be a friend, you're going to have millions of them. So love is the same way. If you go out in the world looking for love, man, good luck. Right. Wow, what a treat. <laughs> I'm the beneficiary of the treat. Oh. Remember I saw through the window, you're going like this, I do. <laughs> Powerful. Yeah, I was telling them. I was telling them, shape up. <laughs> I was just telling them that if you go out in the world looking for love, it's a struggle. But if you go out in the world to give love, you're going to be drowning in an ocean of it. You know? So, we were talking about feeling unloved. If we're thinking our, who we really are as an eternal, loving associate of God, 
then how can you ever feel unloved? You know, Krishna loves you. So we need to reciprocate that love with Krishna. So, boy, Krishna is so kind to you. He brought you in just at the end so you didn't have to hear me. <laughs> so are there any questions, criticisms, comments? I have a question that is <coughs> how do I uncover that love if it's not obvious that Krishna loves me I, I hear it on theory but if it's not obvious then what is that process to discover or uncover and realize that oh he loves me I need to get close to him so there's a nice prayer that we can say and it goes like this Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. We're praying to Radha and Krishna, please engage me in your loving devotional service. I mean, that's going to get me there. That'll get me associating. First of all, I'm so associating with his names. Krishna, Krishna. Hare, Hare, Radha and Krishna, I'm associating with them by that sound. <clears throat> Why would Krishna not answer that prayer? My dear Lord, I want to serve you. I mean, do you really think that he would say, I think not. <laughs> Radharani's going to hear you and say, oh, Krishna, look, he's so sincere. Come on, Krishna, give him a shot, give him a chance. Krishna's going to say, yeah, okay. You know, give him a chance. What if it doesn't measure up? I mean, he's got pretty high standards because he's God, right? What do you think if it doesn't measure up? That's okay. No, oh, a little bit of sincerity. It'll grow as you associate through the service and continue this prayer. I mean, we shouldn't really ever even stop this chanting Hare Krishna. We do our 16, that's only the minimum. You know, it doesn't mean you have to stop. There's no law that says, okay, that's enough. <laughs> Hand out of the bead bag. <laughs> okay. And don't put it back in till tomorrow. There is no requirement for you to stop. You can take your hand out of the bag and let go of the beads, but you can keep it on going, you know. You can keep it going in your head. You don't have to stop. You should pray, you know. Pray Lord Nityananda, he listens. You always hear this. You know? And that way it'll keep it it'll keep it fresh in our head. Otherwise, there's so many uh, distractions. So we have to keep we have to keep this prayer. Does that make any sense? Yes, thank you. Good question. What else? I have one. Yeah. Um, talked about like transcending the bodily platform, and uh, I mean we hear and we talk about it a lot in the scriptures. But then if something happened, like three three weeks ago, I sprained my ankle. Mm. And I really felt that. <laughs> and it's like, um, 
at that time, I don't think like I transcended the budget platform. You know? <laughs> I have a sprained ankle, I can't walk and stuff like that. So how do I like, um, I know it's temporary, but like at that moment, it's just like. Well, if, you, if, you, if I have a blowout in my car and I can't drive it, doesn't mean I think I'm my car. It's just, it's, it's broken. I need to fix it. So you've got a problem with your ankle. And it, it gives you some pain, but it'll, it'll fix, you see. So yeah, it's sometimes difficult when we're sometimes suffering. We can use that as an advantage. I often tell people that old age is kind of an advantage, you know, because you start to realize, boy, I, I, there's no way I can be this. You know, at least I hope not. I really hope not. <laughs> you know, when you're young and healthy and handsome like you, you may look in the mirror and think, well, there's a possibility I could be the body, you know. When <laughs> 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 you get to be a certain age, you go, no way. <laughs> So, um, so sometimes as our body has these difficulties, uh, we can actually use that to realize, no, this isn't me. You know, I can still, I still can go on. I'll fix it, and I'll go on. Like you'd fix a tire or something. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. According to the clock on the wall, it's prasadam time. So, thank you, thank you all so much. You don't have to call me twice for dinner. So, thank you all so much. Hare Krishna.